0: This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we'll finish out the story of Kashi the Deathless, a mostly evil sorcerer from Russian folklore. Despite kidnapping princesses having worked out exactly zero times for him, he'll keep at it, finally opening up to one of his captives to disastrous results. On the Creature of the Week, if you hear a rustling in the tree leaves when there's no wind, it's probably this giant, sticky brown chain smoker who's fallen in love with you. (coughs) This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 5b, The First Horcrux. This is a podcast where I tell the original tales behind legendary stories. Some are popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. Previously on the podcast, I started the story of Kashi the Deathless, a being from Russian folklore who, surprise, can't die he's a powerful magician and last story found him kidnapping a princess and then being pummeled to pieces by that princess's husband and cremated slowly over the course of several decades the dust on the wind made its way back to his castle where he was reassembled today we'll find out exactly what can kill kashi the deathless i'm going to say that i'm going off book with this one i'm telling the stories but i'm linking them in such a way that they weren't really linked in folklore for example There are two main stories about kashi the one last week and the one this week oddly enough though they both result in his death his permanent death he's said to be deathless but ivan pretty easily subdues him with a completely normal club in the last story and he dies that's it today is the much more interesting much more generally accepted death of kashi and while it's not connected to the last one in the folklore I've done so because it makes sense from a narrative perspective, as well as letting me tell both stories without conflict. I know this is a little bit of a breach of my goal of telling the stories as they were, but there is little consistency in these tales, and no real authoritative sources, often resulting in key details being very different from telling to telling. I'm including everything in a hopefully satisfying narrative arc, but just know that the actual tellings of these stories are an unwieldy, tangled ball of contradiction. Anyway, King Ivan and Queen Maria had been dead for years, and somewhere in a far-off land, rumors began to fill the air about the Deathless One. He was back. How was unknown, but he would ride naked on horseback through the forest, shrieking on his hunts. How this didn't immediately warn any animal he was coming is completely beyond me. Regardless, his castle glowed with greater and greater menace in the night. Years passed, and women began to disappear from the surrounding villages. They could have run away to start a new life somewhere else. But no, everyone seemed to know what had actually happened, but no one would speak of it. Everyone knew of Kashi's power, but no one knew the extent of it, and no one wanted to even speak his name for fear of seeing his gaunt, wiry body and sunken, beady eyes in the corner of their house. As long as it wasn't their wives or daughters or sisters being taken, it could be ignored. But every few years, someone would disappear from a village, never to be seen again. No one knew where this Kashi had come from. It said that he was a great fighter and wizard in an ancient war who was betrayed by his comrades. He was captured by the enemy and cursed by a horrible sorcerer who separated his soul from his body so that he could be tortured without dying. Years passed, and Kashi the warrior went mad with rage. He was imprisoned in a dungeon and forgotten until his chains rusted on him. Breaking free, he took revenge on his captors and made his way to his homeland. Those that weren't killed in the war were horrified by him. Years of torture and starvation had left him emaciated and disfigured. He was terrifying to look at, and he was chased out of his lands. He haunted the dark corners of the world until finding his place in an abandoned keep. He hid his soul somewhere far away. His life, this life, was all he had. He vowed that he would be the most powerful person in the land, and he would never be at the mercy of another. He kept his soul hidden and became the second most powerful wizard in the world, behind Baba Yaga, who was mentioned in the last story. Still, Kashi felt the pains of loneliness. He was human. No one could ever love him, though, so he felt his only recourse was kidnapping. He would take the young woman, and she would stay with him for as long as she lived. Some grew old and died. Others did not grow old. It was their choice. A quivering voice was better than the wind blowing through the halls weeping of a girl who would never see her family again, better than the crushing silence of several lifetimes alone. Some learned to, if not tolerate him, begrudgingly accept their lot. Others made it more difficult, but all were mortal. Of course, I'm elaborating on one or two lines I've been able to find on Kashi's backstory. Many sources don't even bother to give him one. In the years since Ivan and Maria, Kashi became more playful and more sadistic in the way he abducted his companions. There was another Prince Ivan, no relation to the first, who had grown up hearing of a princess his age, far away. When he had reached the age of fifteen, he set off to find her. Her name was Vasilisa, and she lived in a tower far away, held there by her overprotective father. He came to a town where a man was being flogged in the square, and the whole village standing around watching him, wincing. Ivan learned that the man had borrowed ten thousand rubles, more than he could pay back and he was being flogged until he could repay the debt. Unfortunately, Koshu the Deathless had made it known, somehow, that he would carry off the man's wife who repays the debt. Ivan, thinking that since he had no wife yet, it wouldn't apply to him, he pays from his family's largesse, and frees the man. The man thanks him profusely, and he tells Ivan that he's called Bulat the Brave, and he learns of Ivan's quest to find the princess. He says that Ivan's in luck, Bulat is the one to help him. He's heard of this Vasilisa, knows where she lives, and Bulat will help him win her hand. All he needs is a horse and a saddle, and provisions, and some new clothes. Ivan, being a child of 15, doesn't see any problem with completely paying off the man's debts and then opening his pocketbook every time he asks for anything at all, so the kid gets him these things. Unbeknownst to him, though, He just made a lifelong friend in Bulat by paying off the man's debts, and the warrior will be bafflingly loyal to Ivan for the rest of his days. After a day in the market, they ride off together in the direction of Vasilisa's tower. When they get within walking distance of the tower, Bulat tells Ivan to stop. Bulat's heard of Vasilisa's overprotective father, and he has a plan. Ivan needs to cook three birds, a chicken, a duck, and a goose. Don't ask questions, kid. Just do it. And when Bulat gets back, Ivan better have the meat ready. Ivan shrugs and does as he's told. Bulat goes to the castle. When he gets there, it's as he suspected. He can't gain entry to the castle. Everyone knows how beautiful Vasilisa is, and the king doesn't want just anyone riding up to see his daughter. Bulat has a plan, though. He finds the window to the princess's chamber and knocks on it quietly. She's surprised, but opens the window and talks to him. As it turns out, he's a pretty great wingman for Ivan, and tells her all about him. Mainly because he sounds like an okay guy, and also mainly because she would really like to leave the confinement of the father's castle, she decides to go with them. They devise a plan. Bulat runs back and gets the cooked chicken from Ivan, who's just finishing it up, and takes it on a plate back to the castle. There, he finds Vasilisa at the front gate, arguing with the guard. She sees Bulat and motions him through and he blusters his way past without answering any questions. The guards give up protesting after a while, and they let the two friends eat lunch in the courtyard there. Bulat returns that evening to camp with Ivan, and the next day he goes to Vasilisa's castle with a duck on a platter. The guards, though more permissive, still protest, but they allow Bulat in with far less obstruction. The two have lunch, again, in the courtyard. The third day because, as you'll see, the writer of the story loves doing things in threes. Boulette does the same thing, bringing the duck. He jokes with the guards as he comes through, and they are more relaxed about watching the pair. After lunch, Vasilisa asks one of the guards if he would be a doll and get them some vodka out of the cupboard, the one inside. Oh, you don't know where it is? You, the other guard, you know where it is, right? Why don't you go with him and show him? Thanks. So, they fall for it, and as soon as the door closes, they're out of the courtyard and out of the castle. They both ride Bulat's horse back to Ivan. Getting back to the camp, the now-engaged couple meet for the first time and hastily pack up everything. She switches to Ivan's horse, and they gallop off, back in the direction of Ivan's castle. An hour or so out, Bulat slips a ring off of his finger and stops Ivan and Vasilisa. He has to go back. When they were packing up the camp, he forgot a ring his mother had given him. He says he knows which way they're going, and he'll catch up, and he gallops off in the other direction. A couple hours later, Bulat sees a troop of the king's men looking for Vasilisa on horseback. They absolutely recognize him, and threaten him if he doesn't tell them where the princess is. Bulat doesn't say anything, and the captain chuckles and tells a couple of the soldiers to take him back to King Kerbit, Vasilisa's father, and get him to talk. They start going past him, but are stopped by the broadside of Bulat's sword. They look up and see him shaking his head and smiling. The captain, terrified by the look in Bulat's eyes, reaches for his sword, but it's too late. Bulat kills all but one of the soldiers in the fight and makes the survivor return to King Kerbit and tell him what happened. Bulat wipes his sword, gets on his horse, and catches up with Ivan and Vasilisa. The next day, Boulette slips a handkerchief in his pocket and tells Ivan, Gosh darn it, wouldn't you know it? I must have dropped it on the road when I went to get the ring. I'll be right back. And he leaves. This time, he sees a group of soldiers twice the size of the last one, and he doesn't even stop. He rides at full gallop and unhorses one, and fights the rest of them from horseback, this time leaving no survivors. King Kerbert will just have to wonder what happened to the troop of men. He's tired, though and can barely keep his eyes open on the ride back to Ivan. He finds them camped out, just off the road, when he returns to them late in the night. And, as much as he feels like he needs to keep watch, he just can't stay awake. He rouses Ivan. The kid's gonna have to do, you know, something in his courting of Vasilisa. And this really isn't all that much. If he sees anything, he should yell. That's it. Ivan falls asleep immediately. His snoring drowns out the small light footsteps coming from the darkness on the edge of the forest. When the moonlight catches it, you can almost see the gray from his beard swaying there, his small, shrunken eyes watching from the darkness. It is Kashi, and he's here for the princess. Ivan and Bulat awaken to a shrieking laughter somewhere far off in the forest, and Bulat runs out, sword drawn, but it's too late. Kashi is gone with Vasilisa. They don't sleep the rest of the night. Ivan thinks that Vasilisa's father's men came and took her back, but Bulat knew that shrieking. It was Kashi, the Deathless. As soon as the sun comes over the horizon, Bulat and Ivan shove their tents and bedrolls and bags and gallop off. Bulat apparently knew where Kashi lived. They ride for days, bordering on weeks, until they cross a border into Kashi's lands. The lands had changed since Ivan and Maria had been there over a hundred years before. What had been wild and overgrown from neglect in Kashi's long imprisonment in Marius’s castle was now orderly and cultivated. The ragged moors that crept up on Kashi's castle now had roving flocks of sheep grazing on them. Ivan and Bulat rode up to some shepherds who were watching over the castle. The two were ragged. They shook their heads, abandoned their flock, and bolted towards the castle in the distance. Since horses are faster than people, Ivan and Bulat quickly caught up with them and the men refuse to say anything, glancing nervously at the castle far off. Bulat says that the Deathless One isn't here, but they are, and Bulat puts a sword to one of their throats. They tell them everything. They tend to Kashi's flocks. They have their whole lives. They know they can't leave. They're basically slaves. Kashi is a recluse in the castle. They leave milk and other things at the door, but they never see him, except in a crazy, shrieking blur as he rides out on his hunts. There was a third shepherd one who looked inside the castle when they thought kashi was out hunting one time the next morning there were only two shepherds bulat and ivan got all the details of their jobs when they come when they go what they bring to the castle the were getting fidgety they kept glancing up at the castle when would he be by when would the mad deathless sorcerer be by would he know that they talked to these two people Bulat saw them looking, and told Ivan to go back and set up camp in the forest. Ivan hesitated, but could see Bulat was serious. Ivan left, set up camp, and built a fire. A couple of hours later, Ivan was at the camp, and Bulat comes back wearing the shepherd's clothes with the flock, and he tosses the other shepherd's clothes at Ivan. Ivan asks about what happened to them. Are they running around naked or something? He asks, through chuckles. No, Bulat says, they're not. Ivan could see that Bulat didn't want to talk about it, and he didn't press the issue. The man had done what needed to be done. The next day, they dropped the milk off at the castle in the guise of the shepherds. Princess Vasilisa came and got it when she woke up. Upon drinking it, in the clear glass, she saw a note affixed to the bottom of the bottle. It had been weeks since she had seen anyone but Kashi, and her heart leapt. The note only said, Gardens. Kashi had left to go hunting, as he was wont to do. "'and Vasilisa casually walked out to the gardens. "'She heard a whisper from the bushes. "'It was Bulat, but he told her to look natural, "'not to look at the bushes, not to say anything. "'No one knew the power of this Kashi, what he could know. "'He asked how she was, "'and she said that she was actually doing pretty well. "'Kashi, though her kidnapper, "'had been treating her with some small degree of kindness. "'He had not harmed her, "'and seemed to want her just as company "'in this dank, dirty castle.' Regardless, she hated it here, and he had no right to keep her as a prisoner. He was powerful, though. They would need to find a way to defeat this deathless one. Bulat had heard rumors, long ago, in his homeland. It was said that he kept his soul separate from his body. That was how he could endure the centuries, the defeats he had experienced, without staying dead. She had to find out where he hid his soul. Bulat would be back the next day at this time, and they would find a way to destroy Kashi. That night, Kashi came back from riding. He cleaned his kills and cooked them for dinner. They ate together in silence. Vasilisa looked at him. He was old and still emaciated, but he radiated power. She looked down. She knew he would study her in silence when he thought she wasn't looking. She took a deep breath. Where did you go today, she asked. You have the stink of the countryside on you. I thought you had met with some savage beast that had taken your life. "'I was worried.' "'Worried?' Kashi said with a bemused smirk. "'Of course,' Vasilisa continued. "'She told Kashi that she saw that there was no use in trying to leave. "'She was already with the most powerful man in the world. "'She had actually grown to admire him. "'She would want him to die senselessly in the wilderness. "'Something warmed in Kashi, and he allowed himself a small smile. "'He told her that she might not know, but he couldn't die.' not while his death remained separate from his body. And it was somewhere safe. In the broom, by the fireplace, actually, because it totally makes sense to put his soul in a piece of wood next to a place that almost exclusively burns wood. He studied her face as he said it, and she told him thank you. It shows his love that he would tell her such a thing. They sit back and talk for a while longer, Vasilisa forcing herself to hold his scarred, bony hand and him feeling the first pangs of happiness that he had felt in many years. The next day, Vasilisa was in the garden. From the bushes, Bulat says no, that can't be it. It was too easy. She had to make him think he could trust her. Later, Kashi came in from riding to find the broom wrapped up on the table, adorned and protected. Vasilisa said that it wouldn't do to have Kashi's soul knocking around the house, stuffed in some corner. No, it should be held up and protected. He chuckled. No, my love, he called her. That's cute, but no. His soul was not actually in the broom. He had to see if he could trust her. He was so happy to find that he could. Since she was excited about staying with him and hadn't tried to kill him after learning the location of his soul, he would tell her where he actually hid it. It was in the goat outside. She sat there with him, forcing herself to stroke the gray wisps on his hair and smile. Nope. Still not it, Bulat says the other day. Still too easy. And he tells her to bring the goat in, this time, and put it in a safe place. She does that. And that evening, when Kashi sees the goat, his cold, black heart is, while not warmed, at least tepid, he builds them a fire and tells her to sit. He has a story to tell her. Since it's obvious she cares for him, he will tell her where his soul is. As far as revelations go, though, this isn't particularly risky, since she's his captive, and you'll see it's ridiculously hard to get a hold of his soul. His soul is on an island in the sea. On this island is an oak, and buried beneath the Byzantine roots of this oak tree is a strong box. In the strong box is a giant rabbit, and inside the rabbit, yes, inside, I have no idea how this works, is a duck. Inside the duck is an egg. And that is where Kashi the Deathless has hidden his soul. As long as the soul stays separate from his body, he cannot stay dead, no matter what happens to him. That evening, he held her close. Even though he had risked nothing by telling her, he felt that he finally had found another human being he could trust. It had been years since he had been able to trust anyone with that secret. And the last guest he had told about this, so many years ago, had found a way to escape the next day. When Kashi found her in the forest, she took her own life, rather than return to him. Meanwhile, Vasilisa knew that this was the secret. She could stomach a few more days with him. She would not live out the rest of her days, the captive of this decrepit, delusional old man. The next day, Bulat agreed. That was the location of his soul. They would find it, bring it back, and free her. Ivan and Bulat set off that very day. They traveled south through Kashi's lands. Ivan, being used to being able to solve all of his problems with money and being unused to life on the road, burned through all of their provisions. The land near the sea was wild and there was no place to restock. What falls is literally exactly what happened in the last story. They find a dog with puppies, an eagle with eggs, and a lobster, and all plead not to be eaten because they can help. Ivan and Bulat spare the three and eventually they come to a town where they can get food, and they charter a merchant vessel to take them to the island. Days pass on the ocean, and they come upon an island that isn't on any of the charts. It's large and covered in trees. The merchant says that they'll be back in a few days to pick them up, and his ship disappears over the horizon. The two look at the island and set up camp on the beach. The whole first day they looked for oak trees, and didn't find one until the morning of the second day. They grab their shovels and get to work. They hack and hack at the roots, digging until they hit metal. Unearthing the strong box, Bulat places it on the ground and jabs at the lock with the point on the shovel, and it springs open. Immediately, a giant hare jumps out and bolts for the forest. Bulat and Ivan both look at each other and take off after it. They chase it for the better part of ten minutes, but lose it in the wilderness. They sit down, dejected. They're still cursing themselves when they hear a barking-off in the distance. When it gets closer, they can see a big black dog with a hair in its mouth. He drops it at Ivan's foot, and the kid thinks that he sees it nod at them before it takes off in the forest with its pack. Bulat wastes no time, and, grasping the rabbit by its belly and back, tears it in two. Ivan and Bulat are then blinded by specks of blood being flung in their faces, and Bulat is disoriented by flapping in his face. It's the duck. But before either of them can think to grab the thing, it's gone off into the sky. They're sitting there dumbfounded when an eagle swoops down and deposits the unconscious duck in Ivan's hands. Ivan gives it to Bula, and because he apparently can't think of a more humane way to get an egg out of a duck, tears it in two. Inside, they find an egg. This is the thing that contains the soul of Kashi the Deathless. They have it. They finally have it. They breathe a sigh of relief. They remain another day on the island, and the next morning they can see the merchant return for them. Ivan has the egg in his satchel, and they pack up and row out to meet the ship. When boarding, though, Ivan is unsteady, and the pack falls into the ocean. Bulat doesn't hesitate and dives in after it. He's down in the depths, swimming as fast as he can, but the satchel is still dropping. Panic starts to invade his body as the oxygen slowly leaves it, and the satchel fades out of sight, into the darkness, as he returns to the surface. Ivan is in tears, and he's making the sailors pretty uncomfortable when Bulat surfaces. He's about to inform Ivan that he couldn't catch the egg, but he feels something on his hand. It's the strap of the satchel. He looks down, and he sees a lobster putting it into his hand. He raises the satchel, and the ship cheers. As an aside, yeah. I know. It doesn't make sense not only how the animal stayed alive inside the strongbox, but how a duck can live inside a rabbit. It was a powerful sorcerer who hid them as such, so my answer to that is... because magic. I'm not even going to try to address the talking animals this time. Or, specifically, how a dog on the mainland communicated to dogs on the island to help out Ivan and Bulat. They sail back to the mainland, and over the next several days make all haste to Kashi's lands. They arrive in the evening and find the skeletal sorcerer sitting down to dinner with Vasilisa. Bulak kicks in the door, and, sword drawn, he begins to fight with Kashi. Kashi hasn't spent all the year since Ivan and Maria wallowing in madness, though. After he pieced himself back together, he realized that he had been careless. He couldn't be killed, yes... Realized that there were worse things than death. He had been held captive and continually starved for ten years by Maria, then burned, kind of alive by Ivan because he thought he was invulnerable. He had spent the decades since returning to life training with magic and the sword, and making his body and his mind strong. He would not be overmatched again. He met Bulat's skillful blows with casual disregard, a smile, and absolutely no fatigue. He wasn't so unchallenged, though, that he noticed the young man in the corner of the room pass something to Vasilisa, but he did notice Vasilisa coming to his side. He smiled. He didn't know who these men were, but they were presumably here to rescue the princess. This sort of thing happens from time to time when you're in the business of kidnapping princesses, and in the old days, they might have bested Kashi. Not so anymore. And even better, Vasilisa was coming to his side and not trying to escape, She was choosing to stay. Even though he was locked in battle, this was the happiest Kashi the Deathless could remember being. She loved him. She chose him over her home and people. It was then he felt it. An egg smashed on his back. Why would she smash an egg on his back at a time like... No. No, not her. Not this. He spun around. She still had egg on her hand and looked at him with steely resolve. Her face softened a bit when she saw the pain on his jagged face. He was frozen in place. His every fear of being close to someone again confirmed, and he could barely process what he saw as her betrayal. Bulat seized this moment. Vasilisa saw Bulat's sword explode out of Kashi's chest, but Kashi didn't seem to react. His eyes never left Vasilisa. His jaw hung slack against his sharp, bony facial features. Another sword thrust came through, and then another, and then another. Bulat was apparently thorough. Kashi fell to his knees, bleeding out, but still staring at Vasilisa. Kashi the Deathless died looking at the woman he loved. His last thoughts were of her, joy from what brief happiness she had brought him in the past few months, and hate because, at the last moment, he had realized it had all been a lie. Ivan, Vasilisa, and Bulat didn't tarry in Kashi's castle, but left immediately. They left the door open, and Vasilisa looked back to see the corpse of Kashi the Deathless. He was in his castle surrounded by his riches, truly and completely alone. She wept for happiness because she was free of it, but she was not without a tinge of sadness for the man whose profound fear and loneliness she had come to understand. Ivan and Vasilisa were married. And lived long lives, and Bulat the Brave became a distinguished knight in their court. In his old age, he was made a count, and his sons and daughters married into the families of kings and czars. Decades bled into centuries, and Kashi had not been heard shrieking in the wilderness, and no young women disappeared from the surrounding villages. The tale of Kashi passed in a legend, but anyone who came upon his castle could feel the curse of the man, of the countless lives he had stolen to sate his profound emptiness. Many years later, a czar ordered the castle torn down, stone from stone, and Kashi's lands were consumed by petty kingdoms. So ended any living memorial of Kashi the Deathless. So, that's the story of Kashi. I'm going to tell you that I took extreme liberties with the story to condense it down into one narrative. As I said, there's no real official story. In some tellings, Kashi's a giant, some a dragon, some a demon, and some kind of a trickster god. Some stories don't include Bulat. In one story, it's not the second Ivan's wife, but his mother, who he doesn't marry at the end. FYI, that's a different story. In one, Vasily says Kashi's sister, and their multiple sisters come in the form of doves who threaten Ivan and turn his favorite animals against him, forcing Bulat to kill his pets. Lastly, my particular favorite, there's one telling where the second Ivan is not 15 years old, but 9 days old, when he goes and hunts down and kills Kashi. But perhaps the biggest liberty I took with the story is trying to flesh out Kashi's motives a bit, to make him a little more than a boogeyman who haunts the darkness, stealing your loved ones. I saw a deep emptiness in the sorcerer, the story of the folly of trying to cling to a world that has completely left you behind, of immortality without agelessness. I also saw the story of how he was unable to use his immense power he had over the arcane, the elements, even life and death, to make anyone love him. Yeah, he was absolutely in the wrong by kidnapping and keeping young women captive, and this interpretation of the story is in no way meant to justify his behavior, just to show what horrible lengths this person would go to to try to experience some small semblance of human connection. Next week, it's a King Arthur podcast, where we'll start in the very beginning of the story and see the incredibly sketchy actions of King Arthur's father, which led to King Arthur's birth. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a minute and rate or review it on iTunes. It really helps out the show, and it's an encouragement to me. Thanks to Obsidian Dragon, awesome username by the way, and the Dweller Usul, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, for the reviews on iTunes. And double a thanks for the Dweller Usul for the comment on the website. Links to the website and iTunes are in the show notes. But you can easily find the show on iTunes by going to itunes.mythpodcast.com. The mythological creature this week is the Capre. It's a sticky brown giant creature from Philippine folklore who hangs out in trees. He's actually a super friendly giant, and the most malevolent thing he'll do is playfully getting travelers lost, or taking people out of their beds and placing them in the tops of trees, laughing as the poor person wakes up in bewilderment. They have few ambitions besides hanging out in treetops smoking, drinking, and occasionally gambling with other Capres. It's said that the fireflies near the woodline in the summer are not actually fireflies at all, but the ashes the Capre has knocked off his cigar. He carries a white stone with him, and if you happen to get a hold of it, he'll grant you wishes to get it back. They're usually invisible, but if they make a friend, or fall in love, they can make themselves visible to the traveler, and will actually follow that person for the rest of that person's life. So, if you hear a rustling in the leaves in the forest when there's no wind, you might just have a giant, sticky invisible stalker keeping an eye on you from the treetops that's it for this week the theme song is by the band broke for free and the creature of the week music is by the exemplary steve combs thanks so much for listening and i'll see you next time